When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man I don't know what that even means I just want you in my arms again And we can search each other's dreams What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Demon Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It's Rhea Butcher, the host of this here podcast. Uh, it's Three Swings, it's a podcast about baseball and other things. Um, it's Friday the 13th, and we got a big old episode for you. It's not Friday the 13th where you are, but um, we are going to have two guests on this episode. We've got Eric Nussbaum, the author of Stealing Home and Dodger fan World Series champ. And then also Lindsay Adler, beat writer for the Yankees. You've probably heard of them uh, from The Athletic is going to be on the show. So can you even believe it? I had two guests on an episode of Three Swings. It's barely believable for me. I am having a week feeling a lot of feelings today. Not sure why. But that's just what's going on. Um, and you know what? I'm doing my best. <laughs> doing my best. Going for walks. I got up at 6 in the morning. I went for a run this morning. I cleaned my headlights on my car. Um, you know, I'm doing a podcast. Like, we, we're doing what we can. Um, and so, yeah, do what you can. Drink some water, I guess. Wear a mask. Everything that we're going to lock down again. And if we're not mandated to... That's what we're going to be doing, I feel like. Uh, we're already doing that. We, I don't know. I, I have not done anything outside of being pretty locked down. I have not been in a restaurant. I haven't taken my mask off with people inside. Uh, anybody that has not been tested that numbers more than one person. <laughs> um, I've gone to work. Uh, it's just, it's it's been pretty wild. And uh trying to hold out hope and be grateful for what I've got and not spiral out too hard, but it is difficult. So just feeling it today. Um, I'll give you a quick rundown of the baseball stuff that's happened. Um, we've got our awards. Let's get into the awards real quick. Uh, the AL MVP, this comes from ESPN, went to Chicago White Sox first baseman Jose Abreu, who won his first AL MVP after batting uh, 317 with 19 home runs and leading the Sox to their first playoff berth in 12 years. Abreu led the majors with 60 RBI and 140 total bases and topped the AL with 76 hits and a 617 slugging percentage. Abreu received 21 of 30 first place votes from the Baseball Writers Association of America. Cleveland third baseman Jose Ramirez was second with eight first place votes. And New York Yankees second baseman DJ LeMahieu, who won the AL batting crown, followed with one first place vote. I mean, that is like a crew. 
I would take any of those dudes in a first draft. You know what I mean? Uh, Jose Ramirez seemed like he was maybe going to run away with it, but I'm glad that it went to Jose Abreu. Um, he was the 2014 AL Rookie of the Year and is a three-time All-Star. He became the fourth White Sox player to win the AL MVP, joining Frank the Big Hurt Thomas, 93-94, Dick Allen, 1972, and Nellie Fox in 1959. Abreu was the third Cuban-born player to be named MVP, along with Jose Canseco and Voyo Versailles. Uh, and then the NL MVP went to, you guessed it, Atlanta first baseman. So we got two first basements this year. Uh, Freddie Freeman, who won his first NL MVP after batting 341 with 13 home runs and 53 RBI and leading the majors with 23 doubles and 51 runs. Freeman led Atlanta to their third NL East title in a row and their first NLCS berth since 2001. Freeman received 28 of the 30 first-place votes. Dodgers outfielder Mookie Betts received the other two first-place votes to finish second, and Padres third baseman Manny Machado came in third. <laughs> this marks the first time since 2006 that first baseman won both MVP awards when the Twins' Justin Morneau and Phillies' Ryan Howard won. Also of note, both players uh, received MVP uh, 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 hardware. <laughs> uh, they're... Trophy, that's the word I was looking for, does not have uh, Kennesaw Mountain, his name on it, um, this year. And Freddie Freeman suggested that it should be changed to the Frank Robinson Award, MVP Award, because he's the only player to have won the MVP in both leagues. And I think that soon, within the next couple of years, you will see another name added to that list. Um, and he does play in Los Angeles currently. So that's just some progress. Um, whether, you know, I saw some back and forth on Twitter about whether Kennesaw mountain was the belligerent racist that he, he has been claimed to be and all these things. And that's the reason perhaps it is true. Maybe not true. We don't know. I don't know. I tend to believe that it's probably true given the nature of the history of this country. Uh, even if that uh, was somehow not true, perhaps things just need to change every now and then, and we should maybe make the most valuable players trophy um, an award given in the spirit of another player as opposed to a manager. <laughs> um, but, you know, whatever. Uh, moving on to the AL Cy Young, this is also ESPN. The Cleveland ace uh, Shane Bieber was the unanimous choice for AL Cy Young, taking all 30-place votes. Minnesota's Kenta Maeda and Toronto's Hinjun Ryu came in second and third, respectively. Just to point out, these are two guys, uh, the second and third votes in this scenario, both former Dodger pitchers. Uh, Ryu was a starter. Kenta also a starter, but he got bounced around and yo-yoed around and now look, his first season as a as a just a, a starter, like a starter from start to finish, and he's in the Cy Young running. If Shane Bieber didn't have the like monstrous season that he had, you would be looking at Kenta Maeda <laughs> with a Cy Young award the first year he's not with the Dodgers. So that means something to me. And the Dodgers really didn't uh, use him to his fullest uh, ability. And um, so they, you know, they missed out, but they did get, you know, Mookie Betts. Bieber's 8 1 record, his 1.63 earned run average, 122 strikeouts, and opposing on base percentage of 0.494 led not just the American League, but all of baseball this year. Bieber came, became the first pitcher to lead the majors in wins earned run average and strikeouts since Johan Santana in uh, 2006. 
Before that, you'd have to go back another 20 plus years to when Dwight Gooden accomplished accomplished the feat in 1985. Uh, Bieber's 14.2 strikeouts per nine innings is the highest single season total in MLB history, besting Garrett Cole's mark of 13.8 from a season ago. Now, something like that statistic is probably going to be questioned and perhaps in a bunch of years not seen as much uh, given that this was a shortened season. However, I think his performance nonetheless is unanimous and obviously should be taking home the hardware. Uh, and then for the NL Cy Young, you've got Cincinnati Reds and controversial controversial pitcher Trevor Bauer winning the Na- National League Cy Young Award, edging out the Cubs' Yu Darvish and the Mets' Jacob deGrom. Bauer received 27 of 30 fi- first-place votes and Darvish received the other three. Bauer led the National League in ERA. He had a 1.73 end whip, which is uh, walks, hits uh, over innings pitched at 0.79, while his 100 strikeouts were just four off Darvish's NL leading total. Bauer was also the only pitcher in the majors to record multiple shutouts this season, although both came in seven inning doubleheaders. The Cincinnati Reds are the oldest professional baseball team with a history going all history going all the way back to 1882. And yet they never had a Cy Young winner until Bauer took home the hardware on Wednesday night. Pretty fascinating. And, uh, he's been pretty polarizing as a winner, um, on baseball Twitter. And so I will just leave it to you guys. I don't know. I mean, he performed well, he clearly is using some substances, but uh, I read an article where basically everyone is, so who knows? Perhaps we'll get into that on another episode, but we definitely don't have time because I want you guys to listen to our guests, uh, one of whom will be discussing this last news bit a little bit more at length or perhaps more to heart. Uh, but the Miami Marlins hire Kim Ng as MLB's first female GM and our source for this is once again ESPN. On Friday, Marlins CEO Derek Jeter announced that the Marlins had hired front office veteran Kim Ng as their new general manager, making Ng the first female GM in MLB history. That is 150 years. We look forward to Kim bringing a wealth of knowledge and championship level experience to the Miami Marlins, Jeter said in a statement. Her leadership of our baseball operations team will play a major role on our path towards the same sustained success. Additionally, her extensive work in expanding youth baseball and softball initiatives will enhance our efforts to grow the game among our local youth as we continue to make a positive impact on the South Florida community. Ng has most recently served as MLB's senior vice president of baseball operations for the past nine years when she was the highest ranking Asian American female baseball executive. She has also served as assistant general manager for the New York Yankees and Los Angeles Dodgers, heard of both of those teams, working with teams that made the playoffs eight times and won three World Series titles. I entered Major League Baseball as an intern, and after decades of determination, it is the honor of my career to lead the Miami Marlins as their next general manager, Ng said in a statement. We are building for the long term in South Florida, developing a forward-thinking, collaborative, creative baseball operation made up of incredibly talented and dedicated staff who have, over the last few years, laid a great foundation for success. This challenge is one I don't take lightly. When I got into this business, it seemed unlikely a woman would lead a major league team. But I am dogged in the pursuit of my goals. My goal is now to bring championship baseball to Miami. I am both humbled and eager to continue building the winning culture our fans expect and deserve. Um, 
It's an incredible moment, and it's long overdue, specifically for this person, uh, Kim Ng. She has worked in baseball for 30 years uh, in the front office. She has made lateral moves uh, from the Yankees to the Dodgers at the same position. Um, I would say a career like this is rare, given that um, most people uh, would be given the opportunity to be a GM. She also has uh, applied for the job of GM for 15 years. Um, So this is not something that she takes lightly, clearly. Um, She says that. (laughs) Uh, I think it's a great moment. I think we can acknowledge that it's long overdue, not just for Kim Ng, but for women in baseball. Um, And my hope is that we begin to uh, not only look to women in the highest positions, but we also acknowledge the women that are in the positions that they currently are and that um, we grow the game from the ground up so that we have more opportunities for women in every position, not just uh, the top. Uh, And so I, I cannot express the excitement and uh, happiness for Kim Ng. She deserves it more than anybody that I know. And I don't know her. I missed uh, getting to hear her speak by 24 hours a couple years ago. (laughs) Um, And that's just the way it goes. But uh, I, I am going to talk to Lindsay Adler later in the show, much more about this, about her wonderful piece that was on The Athletic today, which I highly recommend. Um, And I'm going to read you some ads, and then we're going to be back with Eric Nussbaum and Lindsey Adler, perhaps in that order or perhaps not. I'm not sure, whatever bench coach Brett thinks. Um, And before we do those ads, I just want to say thank you for sticking around for this season, this weird and wacky season of baseball and of life. And uh, yeah, uh, I think we're going to take a winter break for three swings. I'm not sure for how long, but uh, we will let you know on socials. Um, and uh, yes, I'll be back right after this with Eric or Lindsay. Lindsay Adler, everybody. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's so great to have you here. I, I read you all the time on Twitter and on The Athletic. Um, and you are, you are, are you the beat reporter for the Yankees for The Athletic? That's the yep. correct title? Hell yeah. Yep. That's very cool. Do people tell you that that's cool? Because I think it's very cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> people, well, people do think it's very cool. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that it's also very annoying, just like every other job, but I feel like it's a very cool thing to be, you know? I don't know. <laughs> it's it's fine to be annoyed at a cool job, I think. Yeah. Actually, I, yeah, Lindsay, I agree. There's like a there's a way that actually Yankees assistant GM Jean Afterman describes it. She says that so she wanted to be she wanted to be an actress, I think, and her mm-hmm. father always told her you know, there's a lot of people working unglamorous jobs in glamorous industries. And I, you know, she says that that applied to her aspirations as an actress. It applies to the feeling of working in baseball. And I think that's kind of what it is, is um, unglamorous roles in a very glamorous industry. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to keep that one too. Um, So big news today, specifically the day that we're recording this uh, on Friday the 13th, no less. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a bit of a witch's holiday. Um, a big barrier, I guess, or 
big thing, whatever you want to call it. Baseball has done something they have not yet done, but now we can say that they have. Uh, they have hired a woman as a general manager of a major league baseball team. And uh, do you want to like give us the rundown of the person that they chose and who chose them? Yeah. So Kim Ang has worked in baseball literally my entire lifetime. She started. <laughs> that's, that's so bonkers, Lindsay. <laughs> I know. I know. A couple of people have told me that I'm like not allowed to say that anymore. But it's, no, I mean, I no, think you should like, keep it's like saying for scale. You it's know, for, it's absolutely for scale because I feel like I was eight. You know, mm -hmm. I was an eight year old child. I am. Yeah. I am like almost 40. And this woman has been working in baseball that long. That's a good yes. scale, I think. Yes. <laughs> so she started as an intern with the White Sox um, in 1990. And then in 1998, she was hired as an assistant GM with the New York Yankees. She was the first female assistant GM, um, I believe. And then in 2001, a lateral move to assistant GM of the Dodgers. And then 2005, the Dodgers have had a GM opening. That was the first time she interviewed for a GM role. And um, she stayed with the Dodgers for a while after she did not get that job. She lost it to Ned Coletti. Um, okay, <laughs> just going to move on. And sure, yeah. at this point, um, she's been working as, I think, the executive vice president of baseball operations for Major League Baseball at their league operations at their league office. So she's going back to the club side after being with major league baseball for a while. So it's, you know, she's really been involved in baseball operations for, I mean, basically as long as I can remember news events, um, and then <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. has been interviewing for GM jobs or at least kind of raised as a potential candidate for 15 years, yeah. <laughs> which just That's feels nuts. Yeah, that that's absolutely nuts. And I think, you know, I read your your wonderful piece on the athletic today and there's many things that um I really was struck by and also really related to in in that, but specifically about the 15 years, you know, you talked about the the business side of baseball that like to go up for those jobs is not it's not like you just go, okay, sure, me, and then you, like, come in and you shake hands and you talk, oh, I mean, it might be like that for some people, <laughs> but that probably wasn't the experience for Kim to, like, you actually have to, like, you know, prepare for that. It's, like, a whole nother job to apply for that. It's a big job. It's one of the bigger jobs in baseball, you know? Um, and to do that 15, for 15 years, um, I think, really speaks to, you know, a lot of people are really happy. I'm really happy that she... she by and large deserves this more. You know what I mean? It's like you look at this and you go, yes, of course, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're like, like if, yes, this, this person should this be doing were, this. If this were a white man, this would, I would be like eh, boring hire, right. you know, like standard, like, sure. Okay, cool. You know, baseball team hires baseball lifer. Um, right. And that's kind of the thing. Like, it's like been really great that like, it's like actually, a very lovely news day for major league baseball. <laughs> and it feels like yeah. there have not been that many of them over the last year. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, for it to finally come together and, uh, I mean, it was kind of out of nowhere because like for a lot of jobs, her name has been floated. There's the interview process and then some, someone else gets hired this one. Like we didn't hear her name connected to it. And then mm -hmm. there it is. 
it Interesting. finally happened. What, do you, what, do, what is your read on that? If you have one. I don't think I have a read on <laughs> that necessarily. Um, my worry is that maybe in the past, it's kind of been like, look at this diverse group of candidates we're interviewing, sure. but I don't know. I can't, I can't speak to it, but that's really kind of the thing, isn't it? You, you never really know what these things, you re- never really know how seriously someone is, someone is looking at you versus um, how seriously someone is looking at a tokenism box, right. which I hope has not been her experience. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems to me that this hire would not be at this point, that experience because you just can't you can't look at that resume and say well this is a token hire but then mm-hmm. to me i also look at that resume and go why was why did it take this long you know and it took this long because i would imagine she is a woman <laughs> she's also not a white woman and she's in a sport that is very male dominated and very white you know so it's like and you you get at that in your article where you're like i don't know if that's what this is or not and it's because it, you said uh, to sort of loosely quote you, it's like people think sexism is this, uh, you know, wrecking ball. And it's like it's not. It's just the air that we breathe, which I think is your quote uh, pretty close to it <laughs> without it in front of me. That yeah. like that is the issue. And and the people mm-hmm. who I feel like whose lungs it, it is in the most are the people who are not listened to about it, <laughs> you know, and yes. like the other people who are perhaps breathing it out and not realizing it are like, yeah, but I don't think it's that it's gotta be something that I notice. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, this might yeah. actually be part of what we're talking, trying to talk about. Yeah. Like the number of times I've heard, no, I don't think that's a woman thing. Right. It's like, well, you know, I'm glad that you don't think it's a woman thing. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, I've I'm, been driving myself crazy mm, about it. For, mm, <laughs> I remember saying sure. once to somebody, Uh, I was like, you know, it just, it feels like, and like I identify as a non-binary person, but often people think that I am, or it's like as a non-binary person who is a side, I'm still on that. You're still on our side side of the (laughs) other. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's, that's the, that's the, uh, dugout I'm coming out of. Right. Okay. You know, like that's where I'm at. Yes. Um, and you know, I was saying like, it just, it feels like it's a woman thing. Like you were saying. I said this and this guy was like, I just don't think that's what it is. And I was like, look, man, I spend every day of my life wanting it to not be that. So if yes. I tell you that's what it is, yes, I've I've exhausted every other option. Yes. <laughs> you know? And the reality yes, like- is like as humans, we do have it's like I want it to be my behavior first. I want to look at my own behavior, yes. my own I want it to be that. So mm-hmm. like once that is exhausted, it's like I'm not crazy. For, to look at 30 years of experience and say, why did it take this long? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, the thing that I sometimes tell players is like, just regard me as like an annoying reporter. You can have issues with, you know, the way that we're always around, or you can have issues with the way I ask a question, but just like, don't think that any of my failings are necessarily because I'm a woman, because like, maybe it's a screw up that someone else would make. And that's kind of my thing is like, to some extent, like the mm, simmering disdain for reporters um, is kind of useful because it's like, well, I don't really want to deal with any of them. 
instead of like, <laughs> right. why is this woman in the clubhouse? Why is this, or, woman, like, get in this here? woman Get this woman out of the clubhouse. It's like, get them all out of the clubhouse. And I'm like, welcome. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> so, welcome to our dugout. Yeah, you, you don't have to like me. Just oh, yeah. dislike me the same way you would dislike a man. Exactly. Don't <laughs> dislike me more because of, you know, my pants or whatever. <laughs> my, yeah. My lack yeah. of pants, whatever it is. Um, something else that's been interesting to me in this sort of news day, this hire around uh, Kim Ng is then like this sort of outpouring of like, hey, look at where there's all these other women in these other positions. <laughs> like, hey, let's maybe talk about this more. And um, like, what what has been your experience you know, you mentioned many women in baseball in your article. What has your, like, I, what has the, like, camaraderie experience of that been for you? Um, you know, when I, so last season, I wrote a profile of Jean Afterman, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it was the first time that a woman had done one. And it came from a two-hour conversation that we had in her office over the off-season, and it wasn't, I don't think it was my most professional moment, because I think to some extent, I was basically asking her, how do I survive? How do I make it? Like, when Mm -hmm. will these small things stop bothering me? And sometimes her answers were, those things will never stop bothering you. Sometimes her answer was, you'll just come to think that everyone around you is a dumbass except for you or, you know, something along those (laughs) lines, you know? Um, And she said that she has, um, so she's close with Raquel Ferreira, who is, um, I believe, an executive VP with the Boston Red Sox. And before today, she was the highest ranking woman in front office. But they always call each other brother, brother Jean and brother Raquel, because... (laughs) If you're, if you're in a man's world, you might as well adapt. But um, I think the thing that I actually really like, and this is actually kind of what I hope the end goal is, I like that Jean doesn't want a general manager job. She likes her job. Mm-hmm. She has been with the Yankees for a very long time. She has a great relationship with Brian Cashman. Um, I'm sure there's an organization that would hire Jean if she made herself available, but she's like, why should I have to do a job that I don't want to just because you guys won't hire right. a different woman or, yeah. or because, or because there are, you know, no other quote unquote women to hire. Like, why should I have to leave a job that I love to be a trailblazer? And I think that's like kind of the ideal. Like I said earlier today, I think the dream is that like, women in front office roles should get to be mediocre. And I think that's what makes me nervous with Kim's hiring is that there's so much pressure on her. And, you know, she's very, she's very, you know, straightforward. She's very baseball focused. I am certain that she is the type of person who will be able to get in there and just be like, I don't care about that. The Marlins are in the middle of a pivot. We're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But does she have to be great? Does she have to be the best GM ever? Like, how are we going to measure this down the line? And I think um, that's what I'm really interested to see for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is something that I, and perhaps it's, it's naive of me to think this, but that because it took so long um, and, and 
saying it took so long. I mean, because Major League Baseball took so long. Kim Ng did not take so long. You know what I mean? Um, that perhaps, and because there actually are women in baseball that we just, we being, you know, a, a general population of people, um, are not as aware of, perhaps that impetus to, to like, like she has to win a World Series in 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yes. the perhaps that is less on the table because it's 2020 (laughs) and it took that long. Like I tweeted out this, the like literal years that we've gone through. Like she has a 30 year career in major league baseball front office operations. Cause I personally count being an intern because like how many of these guys have been an intern for six months and then become executive, like pretty quick. It's pretty quick. Um, so that, that counts to me, uh, Mm -hmm. 30 years in front office. 15 years of applying for the job of general manager. Uh, and baseball has existed for 151 years, generally speaking, major league baseball. Um, so I look at that and I can be mad about it. And then at the Mm -hmm. same time think, well, there's a lot of movement, you know, there's a lot of movement towards this being like an amazing thing and not like she is not a plucked hire. You know, she's not like plucked out of obscurity and then thrown Mm -hmm. into this scenario. Like she actually has the full skill set, like overqualified at this point, not to the point that she shouldn't be doing the job. But I just think that, like you said, that is the hope is like, can you just can can women just be given the opportunity to do the job that they are qualified to do? (laughs) You know, when there are less qualified people getting the job and having an opportunity to do it and failing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's like the thing that I didn't realize until literally I was in the middle of writing today is like, how passionate must you be to keep at this? Because I think I'm a pretty ambitious person and I don't know that I would keep at it. You know, I think mm-hmm. there are times when I'm like, look at all of the women who have come before me. You know, I'm in a clubhouse with Susan fucking Waldman, you know, like the <laughs> the things that Susan has dealt with, you know, just are so far beyond anything I experience. I, I cover an organization that has a female assistant general manager who everyone knows, like Jean would just like blow a gasket if someone did something like terribly sexist or whatever. Like I have it cushy, but it is still sometimes like, what value am I receiving from this mm-hmm. versus what frustration um, am I kind of absorbing? And so for Kim to just keep at it over and over and over one that tells me she has people in her corner who are saying like, you know, we believe in your skill set, and <laughs> someone will, but just the, um, just the ability to kind of keep putting yourself out there, I think is something that is going to be overlooked, but is really, really impressive to me. Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean, any sport, is there a sport more than baseball that requires the ability to do that? I don't know, you know, to just yeah. like be going, be, be yes. on a, like a O for 49 streak and yep. still be willing to swing the bat. Like that is yes. what shows me that like, it doesn't, it doesn't actually, it doesn't actually matter what she does with the Marlins. And I think because of that, she will do really well. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I think there's, there's, you know, cause I've hopped on and off Twitter today. Cause it just is feeling like a day that I should not be on that thing. And it's great. Um, and like, I see people saying terrible shit and I'm like, they're always going to say this. The thing that's different right now is that there are people 
specifically like white guys <laughs> who are like, this is amazing. Yeah. I can't wait to see more of this. And it's like, we live in a great time. You know, like mm-hmm. I can focus on the 150 years. I can focus on the 30 or I can focus on the next 30, which is like, we have base coaches. We have batting coaches. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's changing. You're, you cover baseball. I have this podcast like this. It's not strange anymore. Yes. It's not like an outlier. There are threads of the sport that contain like lots of people who mm-hmm. don't necessarily agree, but see the game from a particular standpoint that is like very open, you know, and hopeful, I feel like. And that's to go back to your mediocre thing. It's like when I think about like the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, like the beauty of that thing is not necessarily like Sophie Curie's like being 199 for 200 attempted steal. You know, know, it's actually like the women I don't know (laughs) who hit 200, like that they got to get paid to hit 200. Like, I'm sorry, we have to have farm hands. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. There has to be somebody that's got to like, step in the box when Sophie's tired or whatever, you know, it's like yeah. the, op- the opportunity possibility, not only at the top, you know, where it, it really counts and then trickles down if you fail. Yes. To be the proof think, that, Oh, we can't do that. You know? Yeah. Like I started covering sports as an intern in 2014, um, like March, 2014. And if this had happened, then the reaction would be completely different. It would Absolutely. be, it would be, you know, notable people saying like, mm. you know, can she handle it? Or like, what are her, I mean, I think everyone in the industry knows her credentials, obviously, but it would just, it would just be very different. And that's the thing. And like, that's why I didn't really understand seeing people like, you know, being like, oh, what must Aubrey Huff think about this or whichever racist, sexist <laughs> yeah. idiot we want to talk about. Like, most, yeah, most we of the know time what they think like, about it. <laughs> yes. Like most of the time being like what people, okay, you've got Aubrey Huff, which, okay, whatever. And then you have like people with like five followers on Twitter, probably with their <laughs> right. daughter in their avatar being like women can't <laughs> be in baseball, but like, yeah. who cares? Because the fact is like they lost, you know, like yeah. she was hired more women will be hired. There are women in upper levels, like throughout the league. There are, there are enough women who work in baseball that I don't know all of them. I don't know who all of them are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a really positive thing. (laughs) You know, that's like always the thing. So it's like, if someone wants to be like a sexist idiot about Kim today, who cares? It's not going to like lose her the job. Yeah. Yeah. She already got it. It's, it's 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 too late to complain honestly yeah like, it's too late and the, like are you a marlins fan probably not <laughs> you know like, like what, you're the, probably the, not what, how can you possibly think that <laughs> the marlins with a female executive could be any worse than with <laughs> jeffrey Moria and david sampson like <laughs> how could you think that there is any lower to go than dismantling yeah. the team with like john carlos i mean you know Stanton wanted to be traded after Jeter sure. came in, but you know, like uh, what, what standards are we talking about here? Right. Sexist ones so. where that's the only, you know, that's the only thing that ha- holds any weight. Um, I mean, she's got more world series under her belt than the Marlins do. So she's already more had than me that. too. So <laughs> more than me. I only have two. <laughs> Hey, you have one now. Oh, wait. Yeah, I you have, have one, one major league baseball. Oh, wait, no, you have two in your lifetime. 
And then I have my own personal one. So I got, a, I got a little twofer as an actual as baseball. As a non-Dodgers fan who was born in 1990. And as a person who is bad at trash talking, um, <laughs> now that I can't say, well, they haven't won one in my lifetime. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I'm out of yeah, lines. What are you going like, to do? That was, that was like my one line. So it's like, okay, cool. Congratulations. Like I'm sure, very happy yeah. for Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> <laughs> are no. you genuinely happy for Clayton Kershaw? I am. He's been one of my favorite pitchers for ever. He seems like such a great dude. Obviously, like everything he said regarding Black Lives Matter and I'm non-religious, but the way he tied it to his faith, I was like, please. Yes. Thank you. This is how I would yeah. think that someone like you would think. So it's um, it's nice to see like ideological <laughs> consistency from a hall of famer. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I think it's, I, I, I was realizing my own, uh, bigotry actually by like judging him based on, you know, like he, he was somebody that held, he was, uh, you know, they do like the faith-based nights. They do that mm -hmm. at, here at Dodger stadium. And I got in my own judgment about it, like making assumptions that, you know, he had beliefs and feelings that, uh, you know, based on, previous experience with other major league baseball players. But then I realized I'd never heard him quoted about anything like that. And he really just, <laughs> you know, sort of uh, practiced his faith as a person. And, uh, you know, as you said, that mo those moments, it's like, oh, this is, this is a cool thing. Th this is that, this is that as a cool thing, as opposed to like a not cool thing that has been our experience in this game for a long time. So I'm very happy for him. It would have been a very sad story if he never got there. Ugh, <laughs> you know, I, I just, just I, a really I, sad baseball story. I can't story. do it again. I can't do it every single October. I just, yeah. I just please. I mean, enough. Put him out of his We've misery. We've all suffered. He's <laughs> suffered. We're all suffering. We're all just waiting for the like wire photos of him sitting sadly on the bench. Just like skip to the end. Just skip to the part where he's holding a World Series trophy. Yeah, I can't handle we it We finally anymore. got it though. What was your experience <laughs> of this World Series this year? Um, if you had one. I thought it was really I really loved it. Um, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I thought up, it was really great you know? baseball. I like, I watch the Rays all of the time and I still mm -hmm. think it's easy to underestimate them because I don't think they necessarily, I mean, because they're a team that pitches well, but mm -hmm. has a slow offense. So that's the epitome of winning a bunch of two run games. So right. it's like hard yeah. to, <laughs> you know, it's like the Yankees the pitching is always kind of shaky, but they're hitting home runs. So there's a lot right. of action, but, um, it was definitely interesting to see how the Rays went through it. And it was, I feel like despite not being a Dodgers fan or a Dodgers beat writer, I've, I'm intimately familiar with uh, the Dodgers experience in October. And so it was cool to see how it's kind of changed and how it finally came together. And um, yeah. I'm just tired of watching baseball from home. So I'm yeah ready for a vaccine, ready for normalcy. Ready for a um, vaccine? Quote, quote <laughs> ready for some turnstiles. Yeah, exactly. Something. <laughs> I mean, I'll definitely be like at Dodger Stadium in a mask whenever that happens. You know, I'm not going to be. We'll see. It's open air. Me, my personal choice. Uh, those seats are close. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> those seats are very close. Um. So, 
I guess the last thing from your article, and I felt like it was like the kicker in your article that I felt like was, um, you know, kind of important, um, that like somebody in the clubhouse saw your experience online and then brought it, like brought it to you and sort Mm -hmm. of like, what was that experience like? And, and did you, did you feel any relief in that moment? I guess is what I, what I wanted to get to. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, we were in St. Petersburg and I don't remember what the circumstances were. It was just some dude who was like, they all run together. I, from I my experience. Was, yeah. I, I <laughs> doubt he was explicitly like women shouldn't cover baseball, but definitely had like a very obvious tilt uh, toward that. And yeah, there was a coach who saw it and I don't think this is a coach who would describe himself as a feminist. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be buying matching Gloria Steinem sweatshirts with me. Um, <laughs> but he, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because in baseball, like ultimately all that matters to these people is winning and, you know, putting in the hard work. And so that's kind of what I said, like the, the grind has no gender. And he was like, Mm -hmm. I don't get it. These people are questioning your knowledge, but I see you all the time, like asking us questions, trying to get a better understanding. And it meant so much more to me coming from him than some like simpy wife guy being like, (laughs) don't listen to the like sexist haters. Like it's, it was really one of those things where it was like, okay, I see that the work that I'm doing negates at least to some people, um, the effects of my, my gender of my, you know, gender presentation even. Um, and it was a, it, it was a big relief and it's, it really is like a story that I have told pretty much everyone in my life because Mm -hmm. it is just nice to be, graded on the results of my work and the results of my work ethic. And if I get something wrong, I get something wrong. (laughs) And it is nice to be seen as a person who does the work, but also as a person who's, um, whose worthiness of being in a clubhouse is based on my ability to do the work. So yeah, that was definitely a big relief. Well, Lindsay, I'm really I'm really glad to hear that story. I was really grateful to read it and like, I'll be a simpy wife guy and just say like, <laughs> I see how, I see how hard you work. Like I'm not in the clubhouse, but like there, I, I cannot remember what season it was. Cause it's hard in a pandemic to remember, but I just, I just remember reading one of your articles that was literally just a beat report on the Yankees. And I was like, this is a beautifully written beat report. And I, I felt for a moment as though I could hear your typewriter not your computer, <laughs> but it was like, as I was reading it, I could just see and feel this like just moment of baseball that is long gone. I could feel it in your words. And like, I am just so grateful for that. And it's just a really cool thing. And it's, I, I don't know. I'm just really grateful to get to share this art with you, <laughs> you know, this sport and this art Thank and you. this space. And it's just very cool. And, um, you know, it's hard in this pandemic to, find silver linings but it's like what a time to be alive you know we both get to watch this thing and we both get to watch kim ing be a general manager like the time is now 
no, no better time than the present, you know, <laughs> here we yeah, are. We we're not going backwards. Um, yeah. I mean, I've used a lot of this season as a creative writing exercise. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a pandemic. I'm going to write whatever lead I want. So I love it. That's where we're going. <laughs> Amazing. Into, well, into I- full flourishy nihilism <laughs> yes <laughs> i love full flourish ni- nihilism it's the best kind <laughs> well Lindsay, i can't wait to keep reading you um you're honestly the reason i subscribe to the athletic so um tell your supervisors that <laughs> if that's a thing <laughs> tell them that's why i pay them money to read your articles and i don't even follow the yankees but i read your stuff um and so let everybody know you want to let everybody know where to like follow you or best keep track of you or um the athletic.com slash yankees it's mostly me um (laughs) twitter.com slash lindsay adler uh lindsay with an e and i think that's it and then also on the streets of brooklyn on the streets of brooklyn with your adorable dog Mm -hmm. Walking my dog. Yeah. <laughs> Walking your dog. Awesome, Lindsay. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. I hope you have a great rest of your uh, Friday the 13th. Thank you. You too. All right. I'm so excited about our next guest. Uh, Super stoked to have him on the show. Uh, author of the book Stealing Home uh, and Los Angeles Dodger fan. <laughs> yeah, totally. Eric, Eric Nussbaum, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like to put, you know, fan in, in quotations and question marks all the time because I feel like it's such a confusing, you know, as, as an identity. It can be a weird label, you know what I mean? It's... It's hard to escape it though. You put so much you put so much into a team and like the idea of a team like over years of your life and even when all the bad stuff happens, you kind of just like it's like being an American. Yeah. Can't escape yeah, it. Eric, I couldn't have well, you've summed up the podcast, and so I guess I don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on and succinctly describing uh my experience back to me. It's actually really nice <laughs> to not because right, well, I feel like it was nice talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Thanks for hopping on for this two-minute interview. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I usually ask people on this podcast when they're guests, um, like, what is your? Did, did you become a, a baseball fan as a child? Was it early on? Like, what? How did you? How did you come to be a baseball? How did you come to be in love with the sport of baseball? I definitely had like the classic. Uh, childhood of loving baseball. I don't yeah. remember not loving baseball. Like there was never yeah. a time that baseball existed in my life as something that I didn't love. Um, I grew up in LA. I grew up a huge Dodger fan, you know, watching the games with my family. My parents were not like huge baseball fans, but mm-hmm. they liked it and they took, took us to Dodger games. And uh, I remember, I don't remember, but recently my parents found a baseball that they had purchased at the first game they took me to in 1991. Uh, I think it was 91 or 90, maybe it was 90 and Fernando Valenzuela pitched and they had the ticket stub. It was pretty cool. They like wrote the date on on the ball. Uh, (laughs) That's awesome. So I don't remember that, but you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a lifelong thing for sure. Yeah. That's like the whole time. I mean, I, you, you said, I don't remember there being a time that I didn't love baseball. That's, that's also been my experience too. Uh, cause I just, it was just always there, you know, like my, 
family didn't have uh, Atlanta was the closest thing to like a family team, but it was mostly because we had TBS. Uh, but it was just always there. It's just like always been a part of my life. Even when I was like sort of distanced from sports, it was still something that I was always like, it was, I was attracted to it and it was in the back of my mind, you know, <laughs> even when I was like, we were on a break, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like my relationship with the sport has evolved a lot over the years and my fandom has evolved, but whereas like with like basketball, like I'll like drop mm -hmm. in and out of caring about basketball, but I never really was able to like put baseball aside for that yeah. kind of deeper period of time. What do you think it is about baseball? Cause that's my experience too. I played basketball. I love basketball, love it, but I don't, I don't have the same relationship with basketball or any other sport that I do with, with baseball. And it sounds like you have a similar experience. What do you think it is about baseball versus like literally every other sport? <laughs> God, I wish I could answer that question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, the vibes, you know, I, I like, the, yeah. I like the way it feels and looks and smells. Uh, I like watching it and playing it. I like, um, the history of it and just how weird baseball is. I think probably ultimately <laughs> it's that the weirdness. Yeah. Yeah. What is the weirdness to you? I mean, you know, the teams don't even play on uniform fields. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I was doing it a, a radio interview with Australian radio host recently, and they were trying to explain baseball briefly and like baseball stadiums to their audience. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> and the stadiums are all have different dimensions. And I thought, wow, yeah, they do. That is weird. That's no, yeah, that's super weird. <laughs> uh, but, but stuff like that, I think the like kind of quirky history of it, the amount of characters, the way that baseball history is so long and it intersects in such beautiful and horrible ways with, American history and world history. I, I guess kind of all that mythology stuff is what mm -hmm. is what draws me into it. Yeah. I mean, it's what a wild, wild world of baseball that it is. So there's so much in there, you know, like I feel like, um, you know, I've been doing this podcast for like three years now and I feel like I've barely scratched the surface of the experience of liking baseball <laughs> because there's like, so, you know, every off season I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to like watch every episode of Ken Burns, which I've already seen and we'll review it. And I don't do it because it's so much, <laughs> so I much, mean, you know, it's like such a commitment. It's a commitment to just like keep up with what's going on now in baseball. Exactly. <laughs> Once a week is, is already, it's like even just this week, like I was like, Oh great. Like a very kind of quiet sort of week. We'll have the MVPs and I can talk about the Cy Youngs and I'll have Eric on. And then like, boom, huge news, <laughs> you know, like yeah. just like a huge, which, uh, you know, there's, I'm, now I'm having two guests on this episode to talk about Kim Ng, but like, that's, that's also like, just, it's just so full. Baseball is so full of opportunities for things to, and, and that's what I find about even just experiencing the game itself, like watching a game. It's so full of experiences that you can like, like one of my friends and friend of the show, Adam Conover has a great bit about how, how boring baseball is. He loves baseball also. Uh, that like when you're at a baseball game, the kiss cam comes on and everybody gets way more excited than they do for, <laughs> or like the hat shuffle or whatever. And I just think it's funny that like, that is still baseball, you know, like the hat shuffle. I've never seen the hat shuffle anywhere else. And you also couldn't really do it without anything but a baseball hat. And like that, everybody loves that moment. And like, that's still baseball. There's, <laughs> there's in Seattle, uh, they have a hydroplane race, like, these fast <laughs> boats, but they're not real. It's just like a cartoon hydroplane yeah. race they play during every game, and people lose their minds for the hydroplane. Lose their minds. It's a cartoon and hydroplane race. 
Uh, in but Cleveland, I really want the have, green one to win. Right. <laughs> People are really committed in that moment, like fully committed to that. Like it is the game seven of the World Series every time. In Cleveland, they have hot dogs racing each other. And these and each character, like hot, there's like ketchup, mustard, and onions, and they all have like very distinct personalities, and people are very much like onions fans and mustard fans. It's very funny. <laughs> I mean, but that's as much baseball as like, you know, the World Series or like some yeah. crazy play happening. Absolutely. It's like you said, it's the weird stuff. It's like you don't see that in football. Football has cheerleaders. Baseball does not have cheerleaders. Baseball has mascots and hot dogs and hydroplane races. <laughs> I watched some of the um, baseball in the beginning of the pandemic from, I think it was Taiwan, where they had cheerleaders. In, oh. It was like an empty stadium, but then they had cheerleaders and baseball players in there. And uh-huh. It was like the eeriest thing I've ever seen in my life. So bizarre. What was your experience like watching that baseball? Because I watched a little bit of like Korean League baseball and... I felt like this year was just like a year for me to take like a break <laughs> to be yeah. like, maybe this isn't, maybe it's time to just like slow down and look at other things. But what was your experience? I had that same idea at first too. Uh, <laughs> didn't work out. Yeah. I, when did that change too? Also follow up. When did that change? All right. So the first answer is like, I couldn't really get into baseball without fans. I had a hard time yeah. with it. Even when it's the major hard. league started. Um, and the second answer, I kind of, it like never really, I never really got going on my break, I think. And not to be all self-promoting, but <laughs> when I had to promote the book, like the book came out in March and like that was supposed to be the beginning of baseball season. So it just went from like trying to tie my book to the baseball calendar to <laughs> having to like talk about the fact that there's no baseball. <laughs> right. Uh, so and talk I, about I a baseball really got book. A break. Yeah. How, <laughs> right? how do you connect a baseball book to not to not baseball? Yeah. Well, here we are. How, let's do it. Let's connect your baseball book to uh, uh, not baseball. So you wrote Stealing Home. It came out in March. Um, and that if you want to do you want to pitch the book to everybody or like give your, your elevator speech? Sure. The book is about how Dodger Stadium came to exist, but it's not really that much about baseball uh, or mm-hmm. Dodger Stadium. Uh, obviously, it is about Dodger Stadium and yeah. baseball, but it's really right. it's, it's really about like L.A. and uh, urban politics and mm-hmm. more than anything, the lives of these families uh, that are wrapped up in this kind of great civic drama. Um, it follows in particular one family, the Arechiga family who came from Mexico to Arizona, settled in LA in the early twenties in a community called Palo Verde that we now think of as being Chavez Ravine. Um, and their community was displaced to make way for a public housing project in the late forties early fifties. Um, and the other kind of main character of the book is this housing official named Frank Wilkinson, who was behind that project. Frank was then blacklisted by real estate developing anti-communist reactionaries in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, the housing project was scratched and the community was destroyed for nothing. Uh, but this family refused to leave their homes. And even after the city sold the land to Dodgers, to the Dodgers and they came from Brooklyn, uh, they still wouldn't leave. And in particular, the matriarch of the family, Abrana, kind of like held fast. So the book kind of concludes with this tragedy of the family getting violently evicted by sheriff's deputies on live television uh, in 1959. And mm-hmm. that that is the very, very quick summary of Stealing Home. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And 
I also, you know, the, it's a story that I'm familiar with, but I'm really looking forward to reading your book to get more into it because I, you know, I wasn't totally aware of the fact that the public housing predated, you know, like I, I was, th- I, my sort of naive understanding was like, you know, this baseball team swooping in and steal, you know, this kind of thing. Um, but it's so wild to really, especially like with your book coming out in March and then where we are now in Los Angeles specifically, the fact that those same things are still going on, even though it's not like necessarily for a baseball stadium, but the fact that like um, red baiting is still like incredibly popular (laughs) in Los Angeles, you know, this city that's supposed to, you know, like from the outside and even from the inside is supposedly, you know, this like liberal blue haven. Um, But when you, you start to really read, (laughs) like look at things, you realize like, oh shit, there's like way more at play than this. Like nothing is ever settled. And in my mind, very much a baseball game because it's as Yogi Yogi Berra once said, it ain't over till it's over, that like anything is possible. Game four proved that to us too, that like just because it looks a certain way doesn't mean it is that way, you know? Yeah, I mean, LA, and one of the things I learned reading reading the book, writing the book uh, (laughs) was that it was... I mean, just a very conservative place for a long time. Like the idea we have of like a progressive LA now is it's a new one. Uh, LA in the fifties was still largely kind of dominated by this like white Protestant Mm -hmm. base of powerful men and their constituents. Like it was, it was not a welcoming place for people of color. It was, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just a, just a really conservative town. Yeah. And, and uh, the stuff happening in this book, I mean, you're talking about real estate developers controlling the city and, you know, fake news and like uh, <laughs> kind of propaganda media, like the LA times is kind of a big character in the book, just as a conservative propaganda machine, which is what it was for decades. Uh, it just, it's all still happening. Yeah, it's I mean, you mentioned the L.A. Sheriff's Department, like the L.A. Sheriff's Department right now is, uh, you know, under fire is not even the, under a microscope for maybe the first time in, in quite some time. Like people are actually paying attention to what they do as an entity, you know, and they they and the LAPD were essentially like imported from the deep south, you know, like white uh, police officers and uh, sheriff's department. So to then go back to then and like be removed forcibly removing people essentially for entertainment, you know, is like the, the epitome of the sort of conservative Los Angeles concept that we just don't associate with here. Like I, we just think of Los Angeles as like, Oh, gay. I don't know. I don't know what, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? It's like, everybody's got this idea of what things are. And like, I think that is one thing that I'm grateful for right now with everything being as uh, like turbulent, one could say, or, you know, sort of all hell breaking loose. It's like, oh, we're actually seeing behind these mirrors and the smoke of like, oh, what is the actual reality of these things? Like, what is behind all this? Like, what is behind this? You know, e- even a team like the Dodgers to roll it back to just um, baseball, like after they won the World Series, so many people were like, wait 
they haven't won in 32 years. Like even just that idea, you know what I mean? Like the, this idea that like the Dodgers have been a consistent world series winning team and not that 32 years is that long of a drought coming from, you know, former Cleveland fan <laughs> fandom, like, and you know, the Cubs, it took them 108 years, but it's still a long time for a team that is perceived as like, you know, a, a top tier and is on paper, a top tier team. It's like, just been really wild to me to the past couple months to just watch everything sort of like people start to realize like, Oh, this isn't actually what we think it is. You know? Yeah. I mean, the Dodgers are kind of not what you think they are in a lot of ways, right? Like it's this <laughs> amazing team, amazing team. Like they were fun to watch this year. The players are awesome. Uh, I love Dave Roberts and was super happy that he got to actually win one, but like, <laughs> you know, they're also kind of owned by a hedge fund and mm -hmm. they're a giant corporate entity, you know, that's sort of outside of Magic Johnson, kind of like putting on the like good smiling face for the fans, relatively uncaring, uh, I think about, <laughs> yeah. about the fan experience. Like a couple of years ago, we would have been talking about how the Dodgers won the world series, but half of LA couldn't watch them because of their terrible TV deal. Yep. Uh, there's, there's plenty of like, Grow stuff underneath if if you care to look. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you care to look. And a lot of people don't. And like that's okay. Um, but I I find that knowing both can be you can hold both things, you know, and it actually makes each one more acceptable is maybe not the word, but I, I feel like each informs the other. Like knowing it is not, you know, doesn't ruin it for me. It's I, actually I agree. Like, I'd rather love the whole thing, you know, like learn to love and express love for the whole thing than pretend as though it's not there, you know? And this comes from somebody that grew up with, you know, I said, you know, I grew up watching Atlanta and then, you know, my hometown team uh, was Cleveland. So <laughs> this is, you know, this- Nothing and, problematic and, about those teams. No, nothing at all. Nothing at all. Um, but that's what interests me and, and what I've I've tried to sort of, investigate on my own about the Dodgers, but I'm curious as you growing up here and growing up with that as your team, your sort of experience of that, which is like, there are these teams that it's very much on, it's literally on the hat. Well, not, not Cleveland has taken it off of the hat, but for, for a long, long time, it, and it's still on the front of the uniforms, you know, like the, the racism and the, the bigotry, uh, is, is, on display like you can literally see it but then a team like the Dodgers it's you got to read a book you know <laughs> you got to ask questions you got to find it so like is do they compete is there a worse one you know like what is how 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 do you as a fan how because I you wrote a piece recently too about like the Dodgers winning the World Series and this experience of the history of the Dodgers like how how as a lover of baseball has that experience been for you? Like those two things. I mean, as a lover of baseball, I love watching the Dodgers win the world series. Um, <laughs> but I think I'd say that with fandom, like if you're looking to find like a more morally superior team in major league baseball or mm -hmm. in any professional sport, you're not going to find it. Like <laughs> the right. idea that, <laughs> Oh, well, you know, chief Wahoo is terrible. So I'm going to go root for the tigers instead it's not like the Tigers are like this like great civil rights organization either. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the idea that like, and you see this like on Twitter when like 
Dodgers and Astros fans are fighting about sign stealing. It's like, oh, well, your team stole signs. Your team stole land from families. Like right. the whole one-upsmanship of like which team is has the moral high ground is like is absurd. Uh, yeah. If you love your team, it's not for that reason. Come on, like be honest with yourself. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. And like I love the Dodgers. I grew up loving the Dodgers. And for me, it was really cool to, you know, grow up with the team of Fernando Valenzuela and you know, as a kid watching like the rookies of the year, you know, Hideo Nomo and Raul Mondesi and Mike Piazza and all these guys. And, you know, hearing about Jackie Robinson being a Dodger and that was great. Uh, and it deepened my fandom, but had I grown up in San Francisco, I would have been a Giants fan and that stuff would have <laughs> right. been cool, but it wouldn't have been my team. Um, mm-hmm. So like, now I'm getting, I'm getting off track. I'm distracting myself. Oh, it's quite all right. I personally enjoy that. The uh, the whole idea of like I don't know it's just just geography a, a lot of yeah. it and it's it's the people around you and like so for me the Dodgers winning the World Series like it felt like an investment paid off in a certain way of just being a fan for my whole life and I got to watch that and experience it because I was two when it happened last time and it also it, it sucks this year and I wrote about this in that piece but like you know I watched it at home by myself or. Uh, with my family, but like not mm-hmm. with my Dodger fan friends and my Dodger fan family. And like the Dodgers, so much of it for me is like the people you experience it with. It's who you're sitting next to at the park, or it's your buddy who you've been going to games with since you were 12 years old. And like not having them and not having that made it harder. Yeah. I, that really hit me this year, like how much of a Dodger fan I had become because of that, same community that you were talking about, you know, because I, I, it is geography and I moved here and sort of like adopted them as a team because they're here. And like, it just is easy, you know, like Los Angeles really loves the Dodgers, you know, and some people love them because they're in Los Angeles and some people love them because they're a great baseball team. And some people love them for all kinds of other reasons. But like, there is something, there was something for me that was like incredibly, I did not realize how much it had affected me until that stuff was gone, you know, because I had a hard time. I didn't really watch any regular season games. And then I just, you know, realized like, oh, am I more angry? Like, am I getting any enjoyment about being angry about baseball? Or should I just like maybe see if I'm into it again? You know, when the postseason happened and turned out I was like, oh, I was just like angry at this thing when I could just be experiencing it, you know? And then, yeah, not being able to like, because I've gone to the, I've been lucky enough to go to the playoffs, at least one game of a playoff game for the Dodgers since 2016. <laughs> like I've gone to at, at least like the divisions, just something. Somebody's been going and been like, I've got an extra ticket. And a lot of people know that I like baseball. So I go and I, I mean, I got rid of like a bunch of towels this year and then they they won, you know, like I had a trash bag full of rally towels and I got rid of them. Don't but need like, the division champion rally towel anymore. I do not need it anymore. I don't need it. I can make space for it, but in some weird way, like it made space for them to win this year. Not that it was on me, but I just, but I did not realize how important it was. I had to like let go of it completely before it was able to like come in. Cause I've just, I've never watched a team that I love win the World Series until this year. I can't say that anymore. You know, like that's just not a thing that I can say. Like I watched Cleveland lose in 95, 97, 2016. Then I watched the Dodgers lose two more times. 
And I was at game five of the NLDS last year in 2019. Oh, that's brutal. It was, Eric, it was, I can't even, (laughs) I've talked about it incessantly on here, but it was like, I mean, that was like one of the most intense experiences I've ever had, not just baseball wise. It was just like 40,000 people who all thought the same thing. I feel that (laughs) way about game two at the 2017 World Series against the Astros. That was, Mm -hmm. that was the one World Series game I've been to in my life. And I was so excited and like definitely spent way too much money on tickets and like sat in, you know, like the far corner of the reserve level. Right. And that game was just a crazy roller coaster and it was a great game and they lost in heartbreaking fashion. Yeah. Was that, that was the big like home run bash one, right? Yeah. Yeah. The back the Seager, Peters, Peterson Homer and yeah. Yeah. And then the Astros homers off Kenley and Yeah. It was terrible, but it was great. It was like the most emotional and most like physical experience we've ever had watching a sporting event. Well, uh, but now, now that they've won, I, I'm wondering how I'm going to feel next year. Is it going to be different? <laughs> Am I going to have a weight off my shoulders? Do you think you're going to like watch it differently? I mean, I definitely feel that way. I, de- I definitely feel like I will because, um, I can, I that I I'm grateful to that NLD, NLDS game for that exact reason. I was like, you know what? They, there's nothing more they can do. What there's there's kind of no other worse way for them to lose than that game. That was just like a, you know, it was just like how did this happen? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I'm sure they'll try to find it. And then they did. And game four was like this insane way to lose a baseball game. But I very quickly was able to see the beauty in it, the baseball beauty in that game. Um, but yeah, I just feel like it's a different experience now. Baseball is just a different experience for me. Because I, I really, truly, honestly thought I was going to be one of those people that just never saw a team that I loved win a World Series. I was just like, this maybe this is it. I mean, people were born and died and never saw the Cubs win a World Series. I was like, maybe that's me. I don't know. <laughs> I live in Seattle. I live in Tacoma. Uh, and you know, we've been up here for like a year. So I haven't gotten to a lot of baseball this year because of you yeah. know, obvious reasons. But it's definitely an accepted fact. Like my wife's a huge Mariners fan, her family are huge Mariners fans, like that. They're never going to win the world series and they're never going to see that. And it's just how it is like, and it's (laughs) such a bummer. It's a huge bummer, but I also think never say never, you know, I mean, the Dodgers is a totally different scenario because they do things like get Mookie bets, but, um, I don't, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility anymore. You know? No, anything is possible. If, you know, anything is possible. If game four can happen, then anything can happen. Yeah. What are your thoughts on game four? I mean, they're a lot better. They're a lot more coherent and uh, kind now than they were, you know, that day. I was I was wrecked by that game. Oof. I yeah. For how uh, long were you wrecked? Like twenty four hours. I mean, yeah. uh, once this. I think that was about again, how long it took me too. I saw the quote uh, a quote from Corey Seager that was like, "It's flushed," and I was like, "I believe you." <laughs> oh yeah, I think. <laughs> Corey Seager is a man who knows how to flush. Like, yeah, that guy, he has that baseball player skill of just like letting stuff go. Yep. Which I wish I had that in my life. (laughs) The, uh, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Like it just felt, it felt inevitable somehow. Yeah. It was going to go that way. Like when you read a really good, like book and you get to the end or a movie and you're like, I didn't see that coming, but it obviously had to happen. Like in retrospect, sure. there's no other way yeah. this could have ended. And that's yeah. how that, that's how that game feels to me now. Yeah. 
And it, I mean, it's it's real. Luckily, obviously, as you're saying, it's like I can say this. I, I pr- probably would not say it if it had gone the other way, but it was just some beautiful baseball like that. The chaos of baseball is also what brings me to it. You know, there's chaos in other games. That's what sports are all about. But that particular level of chaos, like you just can't even like there's so many things to point to and you can roll back through the game and find where it like the the butterfly effect of how that was even created, you know, <laughs> like the Jock Peterson, like pinch hit, like all those things of like, well, Chris Taylor didn't need to be in center field. And Cody Bellinger had a bad back that day. Like all those little things, like where did it start? And thankfully it ended, you know, finally, every little thing that adds up to make a game is what makes it so cool. And then also the fact that it's so quiet like all these little things are happening. You don't realize that they're building to something. They're just kind yeah. of building in the background. And then all of a sudden it happens and you're like, Oh shit. Oh shit. It there happened. it was. Yeah. yeah all right. <laughs> and something that continues to fascinate me about that particular play is that there were two or three moments that it could have been rectified. And it was like Chris Taylor made a pretty quick, adjustment after the bobble, you know, that would have tied the game and would have gone into extras. Max Muncy slowed the throw down because he saw that Randy Rosarena fell down. So he was mm-hmm. like, oh, we've got this. But there was no not enough time to communicate that to his catcher. And that was the thing that actually broke it towards the Rays, which is like you have this young catcher who thinks he hears footsteps, you know, <laughs> that it's like, oh, I just can't. There's nothing I it's I have enough time to slow my throwdown, but I don't have enough time to say, Will, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is like w- just such a beautiful, like, human. That's the like humanity of the game that, like, when we start talking about like robot umps and like all this stuff, it's like you will take, y- you can do that, but it's humans are still going to be playing it. And so humans are still going to hear footsteps that, that, that aren't actually there, you know? Totally. I, I, I hate the idea of robot arms, but I hate it too. <laughs> I, I just like, I think that you're right on like the imperfections of everything and the human error are part of what makes baseball baseball. And there were some crazy strike zones in this world series. And <laughs> yeah. I can say this now probably more comfortably because the Dodgers won, but, but that's fine. You know, like crazy strike zones <laughs> sure. are part of baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the strategy. It's part of the, like you were talking about these quiet things. It's like, quiet things that build to the end where you're like, that is a strike. He's been calling it all night, you know, or whatever. Um, that like you really lose that like writer of the story when you, when you hand it over to a computer, you know? Yeah. It's like one less variable, you know, one less plot twist or ingredient that makes it interesting. Like how does a strike zone affect, you know, the amount of pitches a starter makes, how quickly you go to your bullpen, Mm -hmm. what reliever you bring in and like obviously as we saw in this playoffs like every single bullpen move is crucial and can change at the end of a you know at the flip of a switch or whatever yeah are you uh on the side of this is a side that i happen to be on but that uh dave roberts finally got out dave roberts this series in game six (laughs) well he definitely did i mean there's no question i i felt bad (laughs) for cash uh yeah but also like that was a terrible choice uh not only pulling snell but bringing in anderson like they were both I wouldn't say they're equally head scratching, but they're both head scratching moves for um, sure. Well, which one? Which one do you think is more head scratching? Now I actually don't know. Maybe they are equally head scratching. <laughs> it's it's tough, right? 
Because I, I think my him, first I think instinct, was worse in, in yeah, the first place. It's hard for me to say which one's worse if there is a worse one because my first instinct is to say this: the Snell pull is the worst one because in the moment I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" I mean, my like my old school whatever baseball soul was mad even though i knew like oh shit this is great for us (laughs) you know what i mean like this is great but like there's also this part of me that's watching you know uh, a highlight reel historic pitching performance you know and you're watching that be ended in this way that i truly was like oh this is what this looks like this is what this feels like after going through so many of dave roberts decisions to do those kinds of things i I was like oh yeah this is awful I don't think any Dave Roberts decision was this bad and not just because of how it turned out, but right. like not that it was that bad. It's just like him pulling Rich Hill in four innings is, is what I'm comparing it to. That's it wasn't, the one that comes to def- my head. Not the same, but I was very upset about it when he did it, you know? And that was like this weird, awkward, like miscommunication, like something out of a sitcom where they were like, right. Oh, you, I, I don't know. This one was <laughs> like cash. Like he signaled to the bullpen as soon as he walked out of the dugout. And yeah. Like, that Snell was done. I, I'm like thinking about it now, and it's been what like three weeks. I'm still totally stunned. I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. And I do think that there is an argument to be made for pulling Snell. There's at that point no argument to be made for going to Anderson because it just doesn't make any sense. Except for you know that they only believe in big sample sizes. But that I think is what's ruining baseball more than you know the fact that the games kind of are long. It's like yeah, these, these weird iPad moves that are just no fun. They're not fun. I think that like they're fine. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have a like personal vendetta against the iPad moves. I, I think they make the game a little bit less entertaining. And I think what like bums me out more is that they are the result of a culture that mm-hmm. kind of prioritizes like data and has this sort of like consultant vibe to it, as opposed to a more humane vibe. And I'm not saying that my version will make you win more. It will probably make you lose Mm -hmm. more, but I think it's more fun. Yeah. I feel like there's a, it's a, I mean, I definitely, I I could not agree with you more. The like McKinsey aspect of baseball is very frustrating to me. And I think, you know, when you have somebody like Blake Snell walking off the mound, like as disgusted as he was, like that's, bad baseball to me like that's not entertaining that's sad and it's unfortunate you know (laughs) it's like wouldn't you rather go down like sticking with a person rather than going with like you know vegas odds or whatever like that's just a sad a sad way to play baseball i feel like you know it is it's a sad way to live (laughs) it's a yes eric it's everywhere and it's a sad way to live i don't i don't because there's just, you know, in play, you said you play baseball. Do you play like in like a rec league or? No, I play with my kid. No. I, don't, I, sure. I, mean, I, I don't, I played in high school and then yeah. played like intermittent, you know, softball since then. I would love to right. play baseball again. Uh, well, but, the next time you're in LA and you, we can, the pandemic is not happening. Hit me up and we'll play baseball. Oh, you got uh, it. Yeah. Cause I feel like, you know, I'm not looking at data <laughs> when I'm playing with people that I've been playing with for five years. I just, watch the last like foul ball. And then I moved over a little bit, you know, it's like we're taking that and we're squeezing as much data out of it. And it's really just taking this, like the instinct and the intuition and the sort of magical aspect of baseball of like, 
yeah, it's the numbers are bad third time through the rotation. But like, also look at his face. Like (laughs) he's a human being who's been like, for all intents and purposes, training for this moment since he was probably five years old and you're taking it away because this like spreadsheet is like, well, the better option is this. And then it turned out to be not the right choice. You know, like we can lament this over and over again. The reality is they lost, you know, because of that. People are people in the words of Depeche Mode. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, I, I'm, I feel like a little bit weird about it because I, I think as a baseball fan, you know, and starting my career as a baseball writer, I was always somebody who wanted to like support the stats and be like, yeah, we should look at the stats. Like when I was watching, you know, Ned Coletti sign Jason Schmidt or Juan Pierre uh, to an outlandish contract as a Dodger fan, I would be shaking my head and thinking Kim Ng never would have done that because she would have looked at the numbers. But <laughs> I have now like, it's almost like I've come around to like wanting a more ignorant version of the sport. Uh, and that there's <laughs> yeah. some sort of like, just, I don't know, happiness or purity in that. Yeah. I mean, there's like a middle path, right? Like the numbers are important and so are the people. I think the people are more important. Yeah. I I think so too, (laughs) for sure. That's also something that Dave Roberts didn't do this world series is like, stop those crazy matchup heavy lineups and stopped platooning. And I feel like that was a really beneficial way to play baseball for your offensive lineup. And I think they played better defense because of it too. I think so too. I think it also helped like personnel wise who they had. I mean, they just like, Oh yeah. You had Mookie Betts, healthy Corey Seager, all these like mm-hmm. aspects that it's, you don't really need to platoon when you have those guys. Yeah. A hundred percent. You have, uh, not Corey Seager, uh, Cody Bellinger in center field where he seems destined to have played this whole time. It's like, everything's working out pretty good. They're, they're so good. I, <laughs> they are really I, good. <laughs> It's ridiculous. They're going to be amazing next year too. And probably for years to yeah. come. I, I mean, I hope so. This, I was taking a walk and I was thinking about that, how each year for the past, like since I think 2016, pretty much um, every year, you know, baseball press is always like, is this the, are the Cubs, the dynasty are the Astros, the dynasty are the Red Sox, the dynasty. I think this year might be the first year that that is a plausible question to ask, you know, because with the exception of not winning the world series until now, they kind of have been, you know, like they've, yeah, they've been a loser been dynasty. A dynasty on paper. Yeah. Like a, I don't know, like an inverse dynasty. <laughs> right. They, yeah. They've been, I mean, what, like eight, nine division titles in a row now. I, I've yeah. like actually lost track because it's so many. Yeah. I think it's eight. <laughs> I'm not sure. And it's not like they're in a non-competitive division, you know, it's a competitive division. Some years. Some years. <laughs> this year. Not this year. <laughs> the Padres were okay. I mean, they're pretty good this year. Oh, they're the, gonna be good the Padres again. were really exciting and a lot of fun. And I really, that was the thing that got me back into pandemic baseball was I was like, oh, this is an opportunity for teams that don't normally get a chance to shine to really shine. And I feel like by the postseason, we had, we, the quality of baseball in this postseason was pretty fantastic throughout all of the games that I watched, which was also like just a bonus. It was great to watch players playing it's almost as though we were watching you know july baseball for the postseason which was really fun because it was really great baseball to watch it was i i was impressed considering like the kind of season they had the stoppage like all the stuff they could have 
could have been really sloppy and it wasn't mm-hmm. at least not to my eye. Maybe somebody with yeah. a more like seasoned scouting, you know, view could say things differently, but <laughs> I thought, I thought the baseball was good. It was exciting. Bless you. Yeah. It was super uh, exciting. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I know there was a lot of like, I don't know about like temperatures and stadiums and velocity, all that stuff. And like, I know that counts, but I feel like the product was really great. And except for the stadium in Texas, that was the one product yeah. that was not great. I was like, it's such a, I haven't been there. I can't judge like what it looks like. I've heard bad things, but on TV, it's just so bland looking. It looks like the generic like stadium in a video game, like in an old video on, game. Yeah. Like when you go to, <laughs> when you put on your phone and you have like the, ML, the old MLB game day app, right? that would just, like, just... have a generic stadium. That's where they were playing. <laughs> yeah. That does look like where they were playing. And also that's public money field right there. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. With the old stadium next door with like the lights still on for some reason. I know. Oh, God. God bless America, you know? I guess so. (laughs) So are you looking forward to next season, Eric? I haven't even started thinking about it yet. Uh, Good. I haven't even gotten to like off-season trade rumors that much yet. And I I will start to get to that point where I'm like checking MLB trade rumors and curious about... Take some time off, you know? I should. Have you taken time off? They finally did it. You're here. I, I haven't mean, you're taken working. any time off. No. <laughs> no, I'm still doing it. Uh, but wait, you know, take some time off till your hat gets there. We were talking about the World Series hats before we got on, and yours is now coming on the 30th of December. Hopefully. I mean, yeah. I, I was a little bit disappointed. I ordered it, yeah, like the day after the World Series. Thinking, yeah. Because I have a 2017 hat from that year when they didn't win. And I was like, I never win. wear it. It's just like sits in a closet. It's like they lost the World Series. I can't wear that hat. Yeah, but, I have a 2016 one, and I wore it this year. Oh, for the maybe first it was good time. luck. Maybe it was. <laughs> so hopefully in 2021, I can wear the hat uh, and then like put it on and then begin to like feel the powers of baseball fandom in me again. It's going to feel great, Eric. I'll tell you that, because I really, truly did not think I was ever going to get to put one of these on, and then I did, and it, it feels good. Do you Did you consider getting one of those like ugly hats that say Dodgers World Series champs that they wear on the field no. afterwards? I cannot stand those hats. I think they look terrible. <laughs> I, I feel like the baseball ones are always the worst looking ones too. Like the, when the Lakers won, they had like a pretty cool hat. It was stylish. oh yeah. But the, the, base, the baseball, the, the basketball so locker ugly. room hats are good. Yeah, they're uh, they, for whatever reason they make like the low crown. Oh, you know, that. and it's it's like made out of jersey. I'm a, I'm a bit of a hat purist. I don't know if it sounds like you might be too. <laughs> I, I have a like I'm. I like to wear hats that fit me well and are comfortable. Yeah. And I know right. that the low crown hats don't, and you can see what my head looks like. Uh, <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I like the Ebbets field hats. If I'm really liking to wear a nice hat, but if I'm wearing a new era hat, it's gotta be like the regular one. It's gotta be regular. I don't want any weird thing. I want this thing. So thing. I'm really happy that you're going to get this hat. Whenever it gets there, Hopefully. it might get there earlier. My all my shipping stuff has changed over and over again. It, now we're going to get into like, you know, uh, Trump administration killing the post office shipping plus holiday mm-hmm. shipping. So it might not come post until like twenty twenty three or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you'll already have other Dodger World Series hats before you get the twenty twenty World Series hat because they're going to be a dynasty, right? Absolutely. I'm, I'm hoping to have <laughs> you know three by then. awesome well eric thanks so much for being on the show and everybody where is there anywhere in particular that helps you out or that helps the world out that people should order your book stealing home 
You should order it from your local independent bookstore. That's the best Great. place. And if you're not going to get it there, go to bookshop.org and Hell yeah. they will support your local independent bookstore without you having to leave your house. Amazing. That's awesome. I cannot wait to read it and I cannot wait for everybody else to read it. And uh, Eric, congrats on your win. And thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Congrats to you too. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for welcoming me into the Dodger uh, family. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's a big tent. All right, three Bs. All right, Diamond Dogs. All right, Athletic Gerbils. That's the show. What a great show to uh, wrap up 2020 with. <clears throat> Big thanks to Eric and Lindsay for stopping by the show. And also just something that occurred to me because I'm recording this ending about 24 hours after the beginning, <laughs> which is time travel I can get behind. Um, Kim Ng is also the first person I've seen to be hired as a GM and have one of the promotional photos that <laughs> comes through on social media be her in a baseball glove. <laughs> I so rarely see GMs, um, you know, in photographs with a baseball glove, potentially playing catch, like look like she was actually playing, not just posing. Um, so that's cool. She also played baseball and softball and uh, just has a really brilliant baseball mind. And I can't wait to see, uh, I just can't wait to see it. I'm really excited about it and uh, long overdue, but absolutely worth the wait. So it's very cool. Very excited about it. Um, and just want to let you guys know, we're going to take a winter break. So we'll be back in sometime in mid January with full size episodes. Um, until then I'm going to, hop on and do some little quick 15 minute episodes here and there just to check in with you guys, see how you're doing. So stick around. Don't, don't uh, unsubscribe um, and go back and listen to some of those old episodes. We might rerun some of those for you if you're in the listening mood. Um, and uh, if you are excited about Kim Ng, give baseball for all a follow and you'll get tons of uh, women, girls, non-binary queer uh baseball follows out of that and give them some a couple bucks if you can because they are growing the game from the ground up um but yes keep taking care of each other keep taking care of yourself wear a mask wash your hands um don't go anywhere i wouldn't go and uh i'll see you guys soon take care This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.